0: in let's do that again, everybody all in and you know, we have so many wonderful opportunities in this church Uh, I was looking at the back of our uh, bulletin and and I was looking at all the things that we have, the Sunday school classes, the Bible studies, there's the Wednesday evening men's Bible study there's the Wednesday morning uh, Bible study at 7.30, there's Thursday morning Bible study at the May's Cafe. There's, there's, uh, there's a soon to start study that's going to be uh, the Covenant of God, God of Covenant, and uh, in the women's group, and it's going to start on I think the 14th, no the 7th. There's just so many things coming up. Grief Share starting back up. Financial Peace University. All these things are great opportunities for us to strengthen ourselves, to get ourselves aligned properly with the Lord God Jesus. Um. I I also I don't know how many of you, how many of you participate in any of the small groups. Look at that. There's a lot of small groups in this church. Uh, Home groups that uh, meet uh, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, There's all kinds of there's all kinds of opportunities to grow spiritually through prayer. I mean, we have a praying pastor. We have a praying pastor. We have a praying congregation. We have a congregation that believes God answers prayer. Amen? And and we need to take advantage of those opportunities when we can. There's plenty of times for us to come on Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, Wednesday mornings, Saturday mornings, uh, to join with Scott and others that might come to pray. But, and if you've never done it before, well, take a step of faith, a step of faith and and try to come out and, and be a part of that. But you don't have to be here to pray, but you could it's, it's always good to get together with somebody and pray with somebody, especially when you're praying for the many concerns that are out there. So um, I have a couple questions I want to ask you. Can you name me some great men our century today, Billy Graham, good, good man, great man. Anybody else? David Jeremiah. Well, I know we're in church. Two, two of the great preachers of, of, of our of our last century and this century. Anybody else? Who? I got my hearing aids turned up, but I didn't hear that one. Martin Luther King, again, great men of faith, and and, that, but, and I would definitely agree that, that that's great men, but most people think of great men, a lot of people that I talked to said, well, you know, Michael Jackson. And I thought, why would Michael Jackson be on your list? And then there's, then there's uh, those basketball players, and then there's their football players, and then there's their, you know, they talk about all these sports heroes, as, as people that are great, but great people, and, and they probably are. In fact, I, I was I, I, as I as I was listening to someone's give a prayer and announcements, and, that, and they said something about me being great. I, I, I don't feel great. I don't. I I, I I talked with one of my brothers not long ago, and we we talked about how we we think that you know we get these accolades, and somebody wants to pat us on the back and make us feel good and big and, 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 and all of us, you know, and it's just hard. It's a hard thing to do when somebody's patting you on the back about all the things you're doing and all the things you've said and done, because you just don't feel that way. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to take somebody giving you praise when you, when you look in the mirror every morning and you say, I don't deserve that. But you know the Lord. The Lord has great people, and one of the great people that I would like for us to introduce to uh, be the third slide. Um, you got slides back there to help me out. All right. Well, we'll jump to that. I believe that God looks at great people in different ways. Uh, I think God looks from above and he sees what a great man is. And, and I, I just want to tell you who great men are. Great men are those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And, and, I, and I would say that not just about men, I'd say that about women as well and, and about children. But, but I, I just we're, we're talking about one, we're talking about a man today by the name of Jairus. And, and he was a man of faith, but men who have come to faith in Christ Jesus are great. Men who have been faithful to their wives are great. Men who have strived to be good examples to their children are great. I'd like for us to read, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to read along, I'd like for you to join me in reading this section from Luke 8. It's an introduction to this gentleman that we're about to, To learn more about his name is Jairus. In in chapter eight, verse forty six, I'm reading from I'm reading from the ESV today. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about twelve years of age. And she was dying. And Jesus went. And while he was going, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Then we continue this story here and this, this message here. While they were still speaking, someone from Jairus' house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James. And the father and the mother of the child and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But taking the child's hand, he called and said, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now I know that someone was hoping that he would that I would be preaching on. Why would Jesus say, Don't tell anyone? I'm not. I'm not preaching on that. But I, I, I will answer that question. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as one who was raising people from the dead. That was going to be more importantly given to one other story recorded in John. you remember who that was about? Oh, come on, say it loud. Be bold. There you go. We've got to be bold, Lazarus. And, and, and I believe that's one of the reasons that there was more coming. And, and, and Jesus still had a lot of work to do. And um, the, more, the more some of these miracles that would take place would hinder what he needed to get done and be said. And how he needed to teach the disciples and share with them. So, um, Jairus is who we're talking about. So, who was Jairus? Jairus to the scripture, they said, he was an administrator of the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. Now, how would we understand that? We have Pastor Scott who's the pastor of, of, of the church here. Well, Pastor Scott's kind of like one of the, he, he's, he, he's the pastor, he, he oversees everything, but but this Gyrus guy, he's kind of like the, the business manager. He's the administrator. He handles most of the daily uh, concerns at the synagogue. He's responsible, fiduciary responsibilities, taking care of the finances, making sure that everything's taken care of, the supplies, uh, ordering things. He, he's he got some serious responsibilities, and he's also a student of the Torah. He's, he's very familiar and very understanding. He knows the Word of God. He, he understands it. He also knows, not only does he know the, the Torah, he also knows the additional 613 laws that the Jewish people have to live by, so he's he's well prepared for the job he has, and he's given given responsibilities. He was also a man of faith. Jairus probably studied the Torah and was completely familiar with with all the laws. Uh, he he helped guide the activities synagogue. He tried to keep the people busy. He was doing things. He made. Uh, he probably stored the materials for, for the rabbis on uh, the scrolls when, when they would come and take a scroll and, and, and use it for, for a class or for studying and for readings. He was responsible for uh, maintaining uh, order in the synagogue. He was also a husband and a father. Was a very uh, caring man. He had a, he had a full life. He was he was engaged, and Jairus was uh, he was just fit for everything that was going on. Um, in our present century, uh, Jairus would fit into our our category of, of great men because he was respected in in his church and in the synagogue in the small community that he lived in. Um, he would also fit. And as a man of faith, and from the above part, because God was looking down and He would see that this man was a man of faith, and and He would qualify as a great man because he he uh, he had a relationship with God. But there's something even more important that makes him even greater, and and that's what I want to talk about. Is, is what he became. He sought out Jesus. Now, how many how many of you are watching? The chosen. How many have watched the third season? So you've already you've already seen what Jairus has done in in, in that. And so it's a little hard for me to to tell you anything new. You've already been there. Uh, According to uh, the presentation that is, and it's a very very good presentation. If you haven't got the series, if you're not watching it, I recommend it. I recommend you it and, and see it. It's a, it's a good presentation uh, of, of what's happening uh, biblically in, in the New Testament and how Jesus is being revealed. And, and so I, I just recommend that. Um, Jairus is a person of the New Testament. He's like Epaphras. He comes. He, he's mentioned uh, in the, in this particular scripture in Luke. He's re- recorded in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark. The story is is. Consistent. Uh, if you read Matthew, if you read Mark, there's just a few little differences that are, are, are given in the translations. But the message is basically the same. He's a man of faith. He hears about Christ. He has a problem in his home. And he's tried to fix it. And he can't fix the problem what do you do when you can't fix a problem? You start going to find people who who can. And so Jairus is a person who, who reaches out and he comes to talk to Jesus. He comes to talk to Jesus because he's at the end of his rope. He doesn't know where to turn. But he's heard about this this Christ figure, this Jesus of Nazareth, who's been working miracles in his community, but also out in the hinterlands of, of Israel. Out in Galilee. He's been doing all kinds of wonderful things. And he's hearing all that. And and, and he and he is at a situation where his life is being tested. Jairus comes in a manner that is interesting to me. Um, it says that he hears that Jesus is in, back in town uh, and he's got a problem and he wants help. And so, what does he do? It's in, in verse 41, it says, And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the Zealand, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. He begged Jesus to come to his house because he had a problem that he couldn't fix he believed that Jesus could fix it and you know something happened on the way to Jairus' house that that revealed to Jairus he came to the right man because we're told of the miracle that happens on the way to another miracle you remember what the miracle is? miracle of the healing of the woman, right? And so there are two miracles that take place in this particular setting. One that takes place in in the miracle of the woman, and it it lays a stronger foundation for Jairus that he came to the right man for the right situation. He was needing the healing. He said that his daughter was dying. He needed to come and get the help that only, only Jesus could provide. No one. No one. According to different understandings, he probably went to, went and got a physician, may have got a doctor, got information, tried to get some healing. Things didn't happen. He probably went to one of the Pharisees and one of the, of the Sanhedrin, and he tried to ask them to pray for his daughter, and and he probably he, he used out all of all of his own understanding of what could happen, what he needed to do, and finally he. Decides to reach out to the one person that can help. His name is Jesus. And so he he goes and he he seeks out Jesus. He falls before Jesus. He humbles himself in a way and and, and asks Jesus for help. He came with a troubled heart, his home was crushing. had a problem he couldn't solve. He needed a touch from only one that could solve it. He had a need only Jesus could handle. Have you ever had a need that only Jesus could you to think about those needs. And then I, wanna, I want you to think about your faith. I want you to think about how you demonstrate your faith. Jairus demonstrated the greatest example of a father's love. Luke eight forty two it says he had an only daughter about twelve years of age and she was dying and so he came to Jesus he came to talk about his daughter he came to ask for help I'm sure he prayed. I believe that, that we should be praying as much as we can and as often as we can, especially for our children. He prayed for his daughter. He was at a loss, and yet he sought out the one that could heal, could heal him. Um, in our in our world today and our culture and all the things that are taking place outside. Um, our culture is laying a whole different message upon young people today. They're, they're giving them information and things that, that are, are leading them into all kinds of darkness and into and, and lies and experiences. And And I think as parents we really need to take more time praying our kids now I'm i I'm a great grandfather now okay uh, I've got six great grandchildren and I don't know how many you have but I've got six and I want you to know they're the best there ever was ever born that's how proud I am of them and, and, and I'm sure you feel that way about your grandchildren your great grandchildren and I hope you feel that way about your children but I want you to know that that in our media center back here. If you have struggle on how do I pray? What scriptures do I pray? What do I what do, how do I pray for my kids? Well, there's a prayer guide back there. Prayers for prodigals. I don't know about you, but I'm sure I know I was a prodigal once. I, I know I was walking a long ways hard. I, I wish my mom would have had probably this to be praying for me because it probably would have brought me back sooner. But there's some prayer guides and, and some scriptures to pray and prayers and guided prayers to talk about them. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a handout back there for biblical virtues to pray for your kids. Are you taking advantage of some of these tools that we have back here at the Media Center? If you haven't, Go back there and get them. Spiritual blessings to pray for your children. How you can pray spiritual blessings on your kids. They're back there. Use them. Praying for your family. These are ways to pray for your family, and you really need to use them. Power-packed prayers for public schools. Uh, There's a need. I mean... There are all kinds of things that you can use and we have them available in our media center and if we don't have them back there out, I'm sure Kay knows where to get them and how we can get them so you'll have them. So take advantage of these things that we have, these tools. These are tools that help us become stronger in our faith but also more committed to reach the ones who have the greatest needs. I don't know about you but right now, greatest needs for me my children my grandchildren and my great grandchildren and why? because I see the world from a different perspective I see the world from God's perspective rather than from the world's perspective and we really need to get on our knees and we need to start praying And there's problems out there that need to be solved. There are times when I get in my funk, you know, i kind got to get down, and I'm thinking, the only way to fix the problem today is for Jesus to come back. The only way that this world's gonna get changed is Jesus is gonna have to come back and take back what Satan thinks he owns. And and, and so I get I get kind of struggle with that dementia, that 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 uh, that issue. My brain starts bouncing back and forth about all these things. Well, there was another reason I chose Jairus. Because Jairus had come to a point in his life where he had reached the greatest test of a father's life. His daughter was dying. On November the 30th, 2003, Cindy and I were still laying in bed on a Saturday morning, and we received a phone call. telling us that our daughter, our middle child, was involved in a single car accident and had been taken to the hospital in Mahanta in serious condition. And we were going through a real emotional time as you would if you were receiving a call like that in your, in your life. And so um, we, d- we jumped in the car. Drove to Lahana, probably breaking every speed law that there was to break because I'm sure I, I wasn't paying too much attention about how fast I was going. I, went, I felt I needed to get to Lahana soon. But while we were going, we were praying. We prayed the whole time. We cried the whole time. We prayed. We, we just figured we were. We get to Lahana, and they tell us that our daughter needs to be moved to Pueblo. She's in serious, serious condition. She had coded, they had revived her, she coded, they had revived her, and that she was needing to get into to Parkview Hospital. And so they took her to Parkview Hospital, they got her to Parkview Hospital, and they took her into the neurological ICU where they had discovered through the CAT scans and the trays that she had an upper brain stem injury. And she had been uh, Put in the NICU, and they were giving her um, whatever she needed to help her breathe and to help take care of her, and, and all of the things that were going on in her life that she needed. And uh, the family was all there; we were all praying and and were standing around. And we're this is this has been and we're there for we're there for. Well, she was in a coma for three months, but we were in 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 Parkview for several weeks, and and. Uh, the family were living, basically, in the NICU waiting room. Um, I had a problem. I, I was a pastor in Canyon City. And I um, I had responsibilities. And I, um, I kind of didn't follow through with many of them because I was needed to be with my family. And the church knew it, and they, they respected that. But the region... Uh, every year, they have conferences for pastors as it pertains for credentialing. I don't know whether Scott had that, but in my denomination, I had to be credentialed. And so I had to go to Denver on, on one day while the family was praying and staying and watching my daughter. And, and uh, I had to go to Denver so I could go to this conference and so I could check the boxes <laughs> to keep my job or keep my credentialing. And um, I got there and uh, went through the process and so the day ended, it was probably about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I got back in the car and I'm heading back to Pueblo to go to Parkview. And as I'm driving down the road, a song has been on plane, but I hadn't really been paying attention because I, my thoughts were about family. But then all of a sudden I heard this song and it just, just touched me, got my attention. And I, I don't know if music touches you that way, but it touches me that way, and and so I, I thought, wow, I, I wish I could have heard all of that. So I'm driving. Ten minutes later, ten minutes later, the song comes back. Same, the same station. I didn't change stations. This song is sung again. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, this is for me. And I listened to it, and I listened to it. And I thought, man, I need to hear this again. Now, it's a two-hour drive from Denver to Pueblo, if you're going to Spinole. You know what I'm saying. So I'm driving and I get out to Pinion, and the song comes back on again. Now, I don't know about you, but if you hear something for a third time in 45 minutes, you've got to know that it's something that God wants you to have. And so I got that song in my head and I don't know about I know that our lives were going through a moment of crushing. It was we, our lives were crushed. Our daughter was lying in a, a coma, and 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 everything was going on. And I remember God gave me this song. Now I'm not I, normally I would sing it, <laughs> uh, but I don't know whether I can anymore. This song is. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side, with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. By a roadway in the wilderness, he'll lead me. Rivers in the desert will I see. Heaven and earth will fade, but his word will still remain. And he will do something new today. God will make a way, and and and, he, and I, I sang this song, and I and I, I just knew this was a gift, but it was more a gift for my daughter. Who was laying in I in an ICU, and the reason I'm saying this is because. I began singing this song to her about every time I could go in and be with her. And we all went in a lot. And it was about December the 20th and, uh, the neurological surgeon and neurologist ordered an EEG for our daughter. And, uh, the technicians came in, they hooked our daughter up, and, and, they, and we were all watching and talking and visiting, and, and the technician said, now, you guys can come back in the room after, this, after the test begins, but when you come in, you can't speak, you can't touch, you can't sing, you can't do anything, you just have to stand there, you can be quiet be in the presence Now, they ran that test for 12 hours, that EEG for 12 hours. And at the end of the 12 hours, uh, and they took her off, and, and whatever, a day later, the neurologist came and he called for a family meeting. And he said, he came to us and he said, your daughter is going to be in a vegetative state the rest of her life. And we see no, no signs of any brain. No signs of any brain activity. And um, and I said, You're wrong. I told him, I said, You're wrong. And I and and the rest of the family said, No, no, you're wrong. You began we began responding. We see things, we we we're seeing things, we're seeing that she's responding. No, there, there's no brain activity. We argued with him, we discussed with him, we tried. And finally he says, okay, okay, I'll tell you what. We told him what we were told by the technician. No touching, no praying, no singing, no stimulus, nothing. Just quiet. But I said, but when we're in the room and we're singing to her, we're praying to her, we're reading scripture to her, we're we're touching her, we're encouraging her, we, we see something. We, we feel that she's responding. So he says, okay, well, I'll tell you what. We'll order the test again. He ordered the test the next day. And he said, do what you normally do. And so we did. We'd go in. We'd touch her. We'd sink. We were out. for. We couldn't be in there all the time. We had to go in. And, but only the times we went in, 24 hours later, the doctor came in. At a family meeting, he said, I want you to know I was wrong. I'm wrong. We need to move her to Presbyterian in Denver. And so, while she was still in a coma, we moved her to Presbyterian Hospital and later to Craig Hospital and 20 years later, our daughter sits at a computer. Our daughter sends emails. Does Facebook. She only does emails with one finger because she's got some paralysis because of the upper brain's imagery. She uh, She communicates. She shares her love with everyone. And God has done a good thing. But what I want you to understand is just as Jairus... Had only one place to turn when things were tough. We had only one place to turn when things are tough. When things aren't going the way you think they should be going, and things are so troublesome and so problematic, you don't know where to turn. There's a place to go, and there's one who has the answers, and there's one who will meet your need, and he's the only one that can handle the problems. Now, you may not get the answer you want. And you may not get the answers you need. But you will definitely get an answer. And you will definitely get comfort, encouragement, peace, strength, and most of all, Study of the New Testament, and you begin to look at all the people's lives that Jesus touched. The Waymaker responds through compassion. Jesus is the Waymaker, Jesus is the Promise Keeper, Jesus sets his heart on each person. When when he's confronted with the blind person, when he's confronted with the leper, when he's confronted with the person who's crippled, when when he, he, his heart is touched and he reaches out and he meets the need because he's compassionate. Our God is a God of compassion. God is a God of, of love and care. If my daughter would have died, and she didn't, okay, but if she had, it would have been okay. Because we knew who she loved. We knew who she she's a child of. She was a child of God at the age of six. She made her confession of faith. She was baptized. She loved the Lord. And, and if, if she would have died back then, we know that that would be the case. But that wasn't God's plan. But we needed to, we, were, we felt led to be reinforced to tell the doctor because God was making a way where there seemed to be no way. God was making a way that we would see rivers in the desert, that we would see the road was being set before us. I want you to know that I don't know all the issues and problems and things that people are going through in this congregation. I'm new. And I don't expect to know everybody. But what I do know is this. There is a compassionate Jesus who is ready to reach you in your need. And he will help you if you trust him. Jairus trusted Jesus. of his daughter that's why he came to Jesus Jesus didn't fail him the one thing i do know is this that one day when i get to glory daughter will not be doing one finger emails now she was healed but she will have a greater healing Restore hope in our lives. You're the only one that can touch us and bring us to a moment of understanding. You're the only one that can lift the fear from our heart. You're the only one. So often you said, Father to overcome our fears for life issues help us to be like Jairus to fall before you humbly seeking you and your ways help us to be good parents help us to be good loving followers help us to live Jesus name.